Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. Sorry if you've been waiting for the stream to start. This is live telly. It doesn't always go to plan. I am joined by Michael Taggart. Michael, it's an absolute pleasure. This is your second appearance on a Celtic State of Mind, isn't it? I know, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks very much for the first opportunity uh, just very recently and uh, nice to be invited back so soon after as well. And um, the fact that it's a charity weekend is, is, is something that's, that's very close to my heart to be able to support that kind of thing and talk about Celtic. Um, it's a Saturday, there's a game day, you know, what, what, what more to, what do we need? So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for getting me back on, Paul John. An absolute pleasure. Um, I watched you as a, as a fan. I watched you as a member of the audience on a Celtic State of Mind a few weeks back. I was on my way down to uh, Liverpool. The wife was driving and I was watching you, James, uh, JP, talking uh, Celtic. And, and there was clearly a dynamic and a chemistry between you and JP Mason, uh, Axom contributors and fans and, and uh, people who tune in. I say fan, I don't mean fan as in you're a fan of a football team or a band. People who tune in uh, will know JP well. He's been a tremendous contributor to a Celtic state of mind. I love his knowledge, his opinion. Um, we share interests in football, music, you know, the whole thing. And uh, often on a Thursday, we need to reel ourselves right back in because we go down a wee rabbit hole, Michael, talking about bands and gigs. Um, how do you know, JP? Give us a wee insight into your friendship with JP. So... Well, I'm originally from Ayrshire, so I, I grew up um, down in North Ayrshire in a wee town called Salcoats, so big shout to the guys down there, uh, there'll no doubt be a few tuned in. Uh, we used to go up on uh, uh, Ross and Gary Owen, so there's an arse plug for the boys, uh, yeah. and uh, so when I moved through to university, uh, to, to Edinburgh, um, I've, I've pretty much been here ever since, but I met JP on our, um, on our university course and I, he tells the story better than me, and he certainly told it a lot more times than me. Uh, but he, uh, when we, we did our icebreaker in the, the university um, meet and greet on the first day, and I happened to have the the bumblebee Celtic strip underneath my my uh, my jumper, uh, so I was I wasn't I wasn't full on you know jumper off. It wasn't. It was, I think it was maybe September, so it was maybe a bit chilly, and. Um, uh, I, I turned around and John Paul was the, the, the guy I had to meet and uh, he said, is that the bumblebee top? 
And um, I said, yep. Yeah. And he goes, that's a bit bold in your first day at uni, you know. Different people. <laughs> so my, my quip to him was, well, you know the rules. Um, in other words, you need to be yourself and you need to just uh, demonstrate that, you know, I, I don't hide my colours. I never have, never will. And uh, ever since that moment, JP and I got off uh, on the right foot. So uh, I, I introduced them, I think, to away games. Uh, and uh, that's really when you started to, 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 you opened up a different world to him, maybe. And he's told me that himself, uh, where he was like, he'd been to Celtic matches and, you know, he was fortunate enough to, to be at some key games throughout uh, in the lead up to that. So I can't take the credit for taking uh, introducing him to Celtic, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have uh, been in some many, many journeys with him, uh, you know, taking him to, to a couple of the away games in the, the early days in the, the late the late eighties. I mean that that was the that was quite a defining season for Celtic, obviously. I mean we we stopped ten in a row. Uh you know, I I I personally had moved through to university at a point where I'd been attending every week type thing. Uh but we were losing. We were constantly getting so yeah. far as as you know, we're not labouring the point of what it was like experiencing the other side of nine in a row. But um you know, it was it was good to to have someone like JP that anybody that will have seen him or knows him, he shares passion like I do. You know, if you're in for something, you're up for it 100. percent And and um, you know, so I guess that's where it started. And and then before you know it, you're on away bus trips to Europe and far flung areas of the world. And you know, it's it's the banter and the crack and the camaraderie, the supporting of one another as well as the team that that comes with it. So you know. We've, um, we've 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 had good times. Listen, it sounds brilliant um, because football and Celtic, uh, it does bring people together. We know about the community aspect of the formation of our club. We've been speaking a lot about around about this time of year as well. You know how that is important. And that's why we do the charity weekend. And there's one of the ones, Michael, where I wasn't quite sure how it was going to work the first time round, but I knew we could do something. I just knew we had started getting people interested in the live streams during the pandemic. Bring it all together. Let's see who wants to be involved. And that word community, which is huge, because you've just given me a, an example of that. You know, someone spots the the collar and JP being JP right into his jerseys, the Tony Green or the the, the Tony uh, Lime on your collar. He would have known exactly what that was, and then and he's honed in on it. And then obviously this this uh, fledgling friendship has started. But it's the community aspect as well. Um, and I used to always say this, you know, if you were on holiday, it was no cliche. You see a set of hoops, there you know, that, that's your compadre kind of thing. And then, what then, what, what's happened is it's a strange one in the in terms of the media creation because it's been a wee bit fractured, I think, because what happens is um, you decide to either give your view as a Celtic supporter, that's all you're doing, you're on here giving your view. And we've got around 20 or more contributors and Axon, regulars, irregular contributions. Everybody's got their own view. There's no agenda. The only thing that binds us together is Celtic, and we can agree, disagree, argue, fall out, fall back in. And I always say, well, that's what you did anyway. That's what you did on the supporters' buses. I, I, my supporters' buses were obviously coming from Fife. Um, huge disagreements on, on individual performances, on players, on managers. I remember going to the games in the dark old days of 
that period of nine in a row when we never won the league nine mm-hmm. years in a row. And and some of the discussions around that obviously were kind of like dark subjects like um, the board in terms mm-hmm. of what, what is the future of this football club. And as a young guy, I don't know if you were the same, you, you began to be educated in things that weren't, you know, talking about, oh, when am I getting the new Celtic jersey? And, and uh, Paul McStay is my favourite player. It was about the board and you were young. So you were exposed to it really early, like the real political aspect of what happens if uh, Celtic don't do well and we've no money in the bank and we, we can't buy a player and stadiums fall into bits. What happens then? And I started getting into fanzines. So when I was at the game, always bought a programme. And I was a kid at my school. And at this point, I was at Sacred Heart School in Pennycook, moving about with my dad's work. And um, again, you gravitate towards the Celtic fans. So mm-hmm. th- there was uh, a few, no many, uh, there was a guy, Colin Dewey, from Pennycook. There was uh, Kevin Causer from, from Pennycook. A guy, Scotty Allcroft, from Coats as well, which is uh, the first to me knowing what that place was because I'm a country bumpkin for Fife. How, how am I going to know uh, that exotic place on the other side of Scotland? <laughs> Saltcoats. I've since been back, by the way, with the, the Bobby Lennox uh, statue, and uh, which was tremendous. Um, and, and you gravitate to to other Celtic fans. And I remember going into school one day and Kevin Causer had this this photocopied thing that looked like a programme, but it looked like a cheap version of a programme and it was a fanzine. Yeah. And, and he introduced me to the world of fanzines. I'm talking late 80s, you know, we were just kids at the school. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it, it wasn't uh, confiscated because there was obviously things in there, or ad- adult themes and um, swearies and all that that probably would have got us into a bit of bother. But he introduced me to not the view. You know, this alternative way of thinking that mm-hmm. isn't just believing everything you're fed by the club, uh, which then I was already pretty politica- politicised through the, the minor strikes. Or I already didn't trust the people running the country. Mm-hmm. So as a young kid, you're walking about going, wait a minute, I don't trust the country and who runs it. I don't trust who runs my football club. Who can you trust? Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did is it set me on this wee path of, you know, the, the kind of punk... Uh, ethic of of media, do it yourself, the DIY, yeah. um, and and what that's then done is it's created this whole new world where Celtic fans can create a community, can mm-hmm. can chat, can disagree, and and what I find uh, brilliant about Axon, there's so many views on it that people bend my view. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a view on something, and then I'll talk to Alan Morrison, who's a data guy, and my view will change. Not mm-hmm. always. But my view will change. So I love that because I love Celtic. I love reading about it. I love talking about them. Um, but I, I want to talk to you a wee bit about the fanzine culture. Did you get into that? Because it's something that I, for me, that that a fanzine now uh, is a podcast. Well, I, I think you've shaped it pretty well in terms of the journey that a fanzine went on. I, I, to be honest, I probably never got, I, I wasn't buying them. I, I did have um, a look at quite a couple. Well, there was a few that you pick up and when you're going to games as, as often, somebody either leaves one line in the bus and you pick it up and you have a read at it, or, you know, if, if there was... I remember the uh, Not The View. Uh, that was probably the one that I probably read a little bit more regular. And growing up, I suppose you do start to get a bit more intrigued. I actually did read quite a lot as a kid, which is try to get my own two to do as much. Uh, these days, they're not bad, but they're not reading Not The View equivalents at the moment yet. They're only 9 and 13, but... Um, I wasn't far off it when I started to get to the point where I was starting to take more of an interest in what was going on there. Um, but 
I, I completely agree with the, the fact that, you know, it, it, just giving an opinion, you know, to me it was more listening to maybe some of the older guys in the bus that had a view, and they were maybe getting their views shaped from your fanzines and yeah. and everything that came with it. Some of them were actually contributing to them, so, you know, I'll, I'll not drop anybody's name in there and put them under a bus at this time of the morning, but uh, they'll be on a bus later on today, I'm sure. But um, th- there was... Um, there was sometimes it was quite polarized opinions. Uh, even back then, that that's what I remember, kind of growing up. And as you say, there was uh, there was there was some um, there was some some views that you, you almost a generation was getting educated in, as you say that uh, you know what, what, why why would why would the young the youngsters coming to the game need to understand too much about the board and. Again, I do think about it even with my own kids just now. You know, as soon as Celtic lose a game, um, my oldest son's only seen Celtic lose in the league one year since he's been on the planet. Uh, whereas I was, I was almost more to the other side, not just as bad as that. But he's, um, you know, he, he he doesn't really need to think too much about um, about boardroom discussions. Uh, you know, they're at, he's he's more educated in the boardroom than me. Uh, because he'll play, um, you know, you've, um, the fantasy football teams, and the, you know they've got their uh, FIFA and all these games, and they'll be able to trade players. They, they they could buy and sell you these days in terms of how the trading actually needs to work. But you know, I suppose the the political side of it, um, that's uh, that that's still to come. But you know, the, the, I probably I probably got a healthy balance, I would say, of my input from fanzines, and uh, but more so shaped from the guys that I grew up going to games with, because they've been doing it longer than me, and I suppose I'm I'm now that guy uh, that's able to give opinions from rounded experiences over the years. This is the thing as well, and it keeps up on you, Michael, when you become that guy, uh, when the greys start to come through on the old hairline, and <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, I'm one of the vets here. I think they call you the Celtic da. Um, but but that that's exactly what it is. And by the way, I think it's a badge of honour. Um, I remember being on a bus, and it was uh, it was Jockey Munion's bus. He he was a Valleyfield boy who lived in Blair Hall, and it was basically village Fife Village Celtic fans who would get on this bus. And I remember them telling us the story that um, he drove he drove to Milan for the nineteen seventy European Cup final, and there was a couple of guys still getting on the same bus. Mm-hmm. I and Jockey never spoke all the way back. You know, these tales. You're mm-hmm. sitting there as a kid going, wow, a European what? A European Cup final? Ah, it was a second. And you start to get the history yep. of the football club as well. And the history is so important. But that community aspect, Michael, I just feel that uh, we had a, a platform that people were tuning into. And I thought, you know what? Every Christmas, let's do something. 24 hour with breaks now. The first time I did it, there were no breaks. Michael, I learned pretty quickly you need breaks in between the streams. Absolutely. <laughs> because 24 hours is a, is a long one. Um, and raise awareness of something. So we've raised awareness about homelessness and, um, you know, mental health issues, kids that are less fortunate um, as well around about this time of year. Let's do things for these people. St Mary's, the birthplace of Celtic. And this year, uh, we Jamie Tierney. So Jamie suffers from uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And uh, I've actually got somebody in the comment section here, Double Den, I'm going to bring this up. Um, I have a friend with muscular dystrophy and have seen firsthand how debilitating it can be, but treatment does make a huge difference. Really hope we can help little Jamie and his family. And, and I can tell you the family are absolutely delighted with all the help 
all the Celtic uh, fan base uh, and community have already given them. Um, it makes a, a world of difference to them to know that people are thinking about their wee boy uh, and donating, not just financially, but also items. Uh, I received yesterday a signed Celtic football through the door. Uh, there's no return address on it. Um, and they have basically at some point asked me for my address so they can send this so that we can raffle it off or auction it off. The last hour today, we're going to have a live auction, and it's not about trying to get big money from individuals. It's about having a lot of items, and if we can get a few quid from uh, each of the items, then we'll give all that money to, to Wee Jamie's family as well. So that's on the last hour, which will be 6 till 7 o'clock, because Kevin Graham got me at my bed early this morning because he wanted to do the first stream at 7 a.m. Um, but I would... I would implore you to go and watch it because Kevin premiered his um, first EP, the Celtic Cross Collective's five songs, uh, a few swearies at seven in the morning. We might get uh, a few rows from some of our regular listeners for that. Go and have a listen. It's on the YouTube uh, channel. You and Boy Martin, another regular contributor. Good morning to you, sir. I hope you enjoyed your birthday celebrations. Uh, morning Troops says Northampton. Tim, where are you watching the actual weekend for from? Let us know where in the world. Because at, let me check my schedule, 12 o'clock, we have Yatao and uh, Liam Carrigan, who are both based in Japan. They're going to be coming on to do a whole hour for our Japanese fan base. They're actually going to do it in Japanese, Michael. Um, so fair play. Fair play to them. Uh, I will tune in and I'll try and comment, but we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, so the, the worldwide fan base, where are you watching the Axon Weekender? We've also got Jungle Lion, a regular morning to you as well. We've got the Hearts game coming up. We're going to be covering that as a watch-along um, also. And we also have Jim Orr coming up next with Des McLean, followed by uh, Yato, Liam Carrigan, followed by Laura Bradburn. Loads to look forward to. Um, I'm going to go back to that point then, where, you know, the first period of time that I'm supporting Celtic, we're not winning anything, Michael. Um, introduced in person to the centenary season, and you think, wow, this is what it's all about. Oh, I could, I could get, I could get used to this, and then realising pretty quickly it's not always like that, you know. Um, and then, season on season, it seemed to gradually get worse. You know, losing Billy McNeil as a manager was mm -hmm. huge. I remember they'd done a, a cartoon on the back of the at the time. Uh, I think it was a Sunday Mail, big cartoon, the fall of Caesar. It was, and you're mm -hmm. thinking, so where do you go from there? There was this feeling, Michael. Where do you go from here? Because, you know, you got. Jock Steen, I had gone further back with the history books, but you've got Jock Steen, Billy McNeil, David Hay, Billy McNeil. And you think, where do we go now? It had to be an ex-player in my mind mm -hmm. that managed Celtic. Mm -hmm. But we tried something different. What was your feelings at that time? Was it exciting? Am I rewriting history? Because I, I, Liam Brady was a massive name, wasn't he? Well, I, I, I can actually remember it because the, the build-up, I was fortunate enough, my, my, my dad, uh, who's if he's managed to work YouTube, he'll probably be watching today. Uh, but he uh, took me, uh, my my mum, uh, we were my auntie, we'd, we'd family along, uh, and we went to the, the, the centenary season as it was building up, and the crescendo towards the end when we, you know, beat Dundee. And then I also remember the very last match with uh, Dunfermline, uh, and it just came to me there just now, but how vivid that Jim Leishman was the manager of, Confirming um, at the time, and so we secured the title, got the trophy, and so on. Uh, and I remember Jim Leishman coming over, and he spoke so well about Celtic, and and he was 
you know, he's a guy there that had uh, really, I, I, it was probably the first time I ever learned to respect another manager from another team. And it was because he was showing respect to Celtic. He, he almost felt that he was part of this fantasy fairy tale that Celtic won in the, the league in, the, uh, in their centenary season, then following it up with the late goals to win the double. And I suppose you go from that state of mind. And then I remember still being in um, primary school and we had a vote. You know, this goes back to, you know, I heard the, the person on just before me uh, and he was saying about kids not involved in football and, you know, as much. And fortunately mine are, but I remember back then everything, it was, you know, as soon as that bell went, you were out there kicking a the ball about and stuff. But I remember we had a, a teacher and we had a we had a poll in the primary seven class, I think it was. And uh, it was who should be the next Celtic manager. You know, that was St. Brendan's uh, school down in Salcoats. And Liam Brady got the vote, you know, because yeah. he was, he was even kids that maybe didn't know as much about football. Uh, he, he was the name. He was the one that your parents were feeding you going, oh, Liam Brady, you know, public Ireland, Arsenal legend, played in Italy. You know, this, this is a guy that if we're not going to get a Celtic player, we're going to get almost what would be seen as the next best thing. And it should have worked. It's like most things, you know, the great in theory, but you know, what ends up happening? And it changed, it changed the, um, I suppose, the dynamic. And I suppose when, even when we flick forward a little bit towards what was an ill-fated 10-in-a-row campaign for us, it, everything went to getting that first hurdle. And back then it was a centenary double. You know, I think we were one of the first, or the first, or certainly one of the first two, to win the centenary and uh, the double in our centenary season, anywhere, these are things that you, that, that sticks in my mind. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. well, we, we are the we're a ticket here. We're a we're a team that is. This is what it's all about. Who, who would not love this? And um, then to start to see the years that followed, it's like, well, did we put everything into it? Did we put too much into it? Did we just get a bit ambitious with stuff that was away from what a more steady plan could have been? Should it have been a player? You know why? Why did it not work? You start to have a bit of doubt, and growing up, looking at that, you're thinking, "Well, what happens next?" You know, if if, if he didn't work, and we were voting for him in the classroom, you know, what, what, what do we, who do we vote for next? And yeah, I guess from there, you you do fall into a bit of disarray, and and it, it panned out that way. You know, for, for years to follow the centenary season. Yeah, they did, and you're right about the dynamic because. Again, you're looking back on this. If I go back to even Jimmy McGrory as a manager, he's an ex-player who goes away and does something elsewhere at Kilmarnock as a manager, then he comes to Celtic. Jock's team, ex-player. Goes mm -hmm. to Dunfermline, goes to Hibs, does really well, comes to Celtic. Billy McNeil, he cut his teeth at Clyde and Aberdeen. Then you had Davy Hay, who had spent time at Motherwell. Liam Brady was completely left field in mm -hmm. that respect. I mean, obviously, as an Irish international um, you know, the, there's the Irish fan base loved the idea. I remember us going over to Ireland for pre-season um, as well. And you're thinking, well, he's got all that experience in English football. Um, you know, and at that point, the Ireland national team was just kind of turning to become this force. I remember 88, the Euros, yep. becoming a force. And he's got the links within that, that group of players. He's also got... Uh, the Italian football experience. And you think, well, this should happen. So certainly from his networking perspective, this should work. And I remember, I don't know why it's so vivid in my memory, the guys that we interviewed for the job were Liam Brady, 
Ivan Golak, who later became the Dundee United manager, Frank Stapleton and Tommy Craig. Mm-hmm. So they were the four front runners. Liam gets the job and Celtic as a board, I think, I mean, we've we've interviewed one member of that board, Tom Grant, um, and, and the interview is on the channel. Tom, still a season ticket holder at Celtic. I, I thought he was a lovely guy. Uh, he's obviously inherited his shares. Dreamlike situation for him being on the Celtic board. And he spoke about how he was a T-boy and then he took the minutes and, and you know, and he was he gradually went through the rank. He was part of this board. He was also, interestingly enough, kept on by Fergus after the takeover. But the board weren't fit for purpose. I mean, this is the thing. I'm not re- rewriting history. They, they were Celtic people through and through, Michael, mm-hmm. but the business acumen wasn't there. I mean, yeah. they'd inherited their shares under power at Celtic. And I never really knew how a business worked at that age, and certainly not a football club. But through the pages of the Not Review, who were banging on about the board and uh, becoming a PLC and building a stadium and all the rest of it, issue one, 1987. Have a read of it if you've got it. Not the View. It was almost like that Simpsons thing where they see the future. They see the future. They're so entrenched in a situation. They start ma- making all these predictions, you know. Um, and it all came through. It just, we didn't expect it to go so low. And Liam threw a lot of money at it as well. This is the thing that Celtic weren't really famed for being big spenders. We reared their own. We brought them through. We were a selling club, largely. Mm-hmm. We started buying players like Tony Cascarino, Gary Gillespie, Stuart Slater, Tony Mowbray. They were the big names, big prices. And it didn't work. And we didn't have the money for it, Michael. We mm-hmm. didn't know how to raise the, 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 the cash. I asked Tom the question. I said, right, you find a player, you identify a player, you want to buy them. How did it work back then? Because we didn't have the cash reserve, we didn't have that. Yep. And he was like, well, if we didn't have the money in the bank, we we, we wouldn't go to the bank. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't go and say, we want to buy Gary Gillespie, give me a million quid. Mm-hmm. So they basically emptied the coffers and got into debt for the first time uh, during that period where they were chasing something that, that Rangers had been doing. But what Rangers had in their favour, they had the stadium. Mm-hmm. And the Taylor Report had come through in the interim. We didn't have the stadium. We didn't yep. have the money to, to renovate it. It was a huge, it was a huge concern. Um, and one of the big things that I find interesting, Michael, we've always in our head got players we would have loved to have seen playing for Celtic. And always go back to that 1988 Scottish Cup final, Kevin Gallagher. Always wanted him to sign for Celtic. He had the connections yep. through his granddad and all this kind of stuff. Tom Grant tells us that genuinely and seriously, they were in for Steve Bruce, Peter Beardsley, and Paul McGrath. You imagine yeah. those three guys in the late 80s, early 90s playing for Celtic. I'd take them now. Um, <laughs> Paul McGrath, I know. Paul McGrath, I've, I've, I've drawn comparisons myself, um, and he's still got a long way to go, I suppose, but Carter Vickers is, to me, he, 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 I just I look at him and I, I kind of want him to be Paul McGrath, uh, because but back then, if we had a player like Paul McGrath, I mean, that is... That is to me the the classic centre half, three trunk legs. You're not going to buy him, and just absolute ability and a, a fearsome factor. I know about the Peter, Peter Beardsley uh, chat as well. I think that was actually apparently quite close to happening. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I also Kevin Gallagher. I, I I think I think it's probably a lot of fans of a certain vintage, uh, maybe ours, uh, will 
probably have seen that um, goal that he scored against Celtic. He set up the fact that we had such a magical finish to that centenary season because yeah. the goal he scored, you know, I remember him running past Roy Aitken and, you know, another St Andrews Academy Solcoats man there, Roy Aitken. They're all coming to me today. But, um, uh, and Kevin Gallagher to have scored that goal, that is a that was a class strike. And in any other day, that's a goal that could have won a Scottish Cup final or any final. Uh, it was a brilliant strike. Uh, but if he hadn't done it, it would have been a, you know, if we had just managed to nick a scrappy goal at the end, it would have been uh, maybe not just as magical. But we, that, that showed me, and I've said to JP many a time we've come out of games, uh, you know, maybe won 5-1 or something like that. And, I, and he'll say, what do you think of that? It was dominant today. And I says, well, I'm glad they got a goal. It showed they were trying. And Dundee United were trying. But if you had a guy like Kevin Gallagher up front for them, that he was there kind of, he put the ball in the net quite a lot. And it, it would certainly have been somebody there that we could have, we could have signed, uh, and I think there was a heritage there that would have uh, went down well as well. But I think yeah. also, I think you got to remember we did have Mark McGee, we had Frank McAvaney. You know, there, there were some players there at the time that, uh, you know, Billy Stark. Um, you know, probably one of the more unsung heroes of his time with Celtic. But what a player! You know, you oh, brilliant class. I mean, it, it's 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 those types of players that sometimes go under the radar a bit, but you're right to kind of try and cherry pick a few there, but it would have been wonderful if we got a hold of some of them. And, you know, I wonder if there's um, Tom Grant's maybe got some some regrets or whatever these days, maybe not, but to, to look back and go, what if, you know, what if we could just have done that? Or what if we had put a, a plan in place to, to just go get the players that we needed to get? And Celtic's history would be different, but, you know, it would be, it, it, it certainly I don't think would have been any worse. No, some great points you're making there. Um, the first one I would uh, throw in is Dundee United uh, notoriously didn't like selling their players to Scottish teams. I mean, Goff, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there was interest in Richard Goff when he left Dundee United. Jim McLean sold up to Spurs. Yep. He didn't want to strengthen uh, the opposition. He didn't want to strengthen the Glasgow teams either. And there was a few right good players. There was Celtic were linked to David Neary um, mm-hmm. a lot earlier on. Class, class player as well. So yeah, I, I liked Billy McKinley, who was a Celtic fan as well from that side. Um, I'm going to ask you a question here about, uh, I, I don't think, um, by the way, talking about Billy Stark, he must be one of the best uncapped Celts of all time. Never won a Scottish cap, Billy Stark, what a player for yeah. Celtic and Aberdeen. Um, after that season, it was we Joe Miller, uh, who was involved in the St. Rocks game recently for us, and I, we've done a few wee bits here and there over the years. And he was telling me about uh, one of these walks, these old-fashioned things, Michael, during um, you know days at Seamill. There's another wee connection for you. Yep. Um, before a big game, and they would be going for a wee walk. And it was just mm-hmm. a, a way to get your, your frame of mind right and get a wee bit of um, yep. blood pumping through your veins. And he ended up going on, on a wee walk, and he branched out with Billy McNeil. And already, Billy, this I think would have been for the Dundee United game, he's already talking about the following season and his plans for the following season and what he wanted to do. And he was saying to me, Joe, you know, he had this idea. He wanted to have the same shape as the Lisbon Lions. He wanted to have the overlapping fullbacks. He wanted to have the wingers, you know, kind of same shape. And I know one of the, the, the best, the best of them again, Bobby Lennox, to use another wee um, reference point for you. And he's and he seen Joe Miller as a winger, as a number seven, 
right? And I'm not saying he compared them to Jinky, but he was our number seven. And we, Joe, was never comfortable with that. He, 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 in his own mind, thought he was a better centre forward than a, mm-hmm. than a right winger. And uh, Billy said that he wanted to bring in two or three players and really push on the following season in the European Cup. Can you imagine this? It's, it's astonishing now to think about it. Um, and then you look at who we brought in. Now, at the time, Pat Bonner had uh, suffered quite a lot of injuries. There was a back injury, an eye injury. And the pre-season after the centenary, you'll remember the Dundee United game, Alan McKnight's in goals. Um, McKnight signs for West Ham. Yeah, so McKnight left for West Ham, quarter of a million quid. Uh, he wanted to play first-team football because he was getting dropped at the international squads. Pat Bonner was injured. We went on a pre-season after the double-winning side, uh, the double-winning year. We won goalie, and it was Andy Murdoch. And Andy Murdoch got injured whilst on tour. We ended up having to borrow goalkeepers to play the three games. Mm. One of the goalies, one of the goalies was Hamish McAlpine. So Hamish McAlpine ended up playing in goals for Celtic in one of these friendly games. I think it was in Germany. Um, and another one of the games, the German side we were playing gave us the reserve goalie who played for Celtic. It, it was weird. And then in the third game, there was another trialist. So we went out and bought two goalies. That was our pre-season business. It was Alan Ruff, Ian yep. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Ian Andrews. So so Billy wanted to, to build. He wanted to push on. He wanted to do something in Europe. And he was presented with Alan Ruff, who, great goalkeeper in his day, but he was finished by then. And Ian Andrews, and we all remember um, Andrews for the Ibrox game and all the rest of it. Five past Andrews and all that. Five past Andrews. But there was a lack of ambition. Uh, And, you know, nearer the end of the season, you thought to yourself, wait a minute, we're in for the prodigal son. Can I say his name? Am I allowed to? Have we got a bleeper? Le Petit Merde? Judas? Um, How big big a disappointment and how big an impact did that have, do you think, on Celtic and our psyche as as a fan base at the time? It, it, it was to me. It was the ultimate kick in the teeth. Uh, again, I remember the the news because it was you were getting the news through the radio. You were uh, the Evening Times editions. Uh, there was there was stories coming through. You know, um, and and when when we were about to when we were about to sign your man, um, it, 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 and then suddenly uh, when he didn't come over from France and ended up going to the other side of the city, that was. That, that to me is probably the most disrespectful thing that that I can remember uh, because Billy McNeil, um, I've got a picture of Billy McNeil on my wall there, right, right behind me with the cup, and that to me is that's what I that that is the epitome of Celtic. That's that was our crowning moment, and I didn't hold anybody in any higher regard than Billy McNeil. And if somebody can turn around and behave like that and do that. It starts to again go back to the earlier points there about you know why is this not working? Why is he not giving Billy McNeil the same respect as what um, what everybody else does? And mm-hmm. it starts to kind of crumble away, and you think, well, it's maybe not till you look at it with a bit more hindsight, and you think, well, was Billy McNeil not backed enough by the board? Was he not? Like, although he had aspirations and ambitions, and he clearly had the achievements on his CV about where he had been as a player through the club. I mean, it couldn't have been a better success story in the making for him to be the person that took us to the next level, again, as a European force this time as manager. Um, so I would say it probably, it probably started, there were some very key signs there that things were not going to start to bode well when you start to lose things like that. And it, it did change a lot of the dynamic 
we went from that real high of the, the, the centenary season and then obviously winning the, the Scottish Cup with Joe Miller's goal the following season. But after that, it was like, that's when you start to think that, mm, wait a minute, there's, we're not getting the back in here that's, that, that, that Billy McNeil certainly deserved. And I would have loved them to have got it. Yeah, you're right though. You know when you take it down to the human level, the the man McNeil, uh, but also having read about that whole period of time, Roy Aiken played a massive part in the deal that Celtic thought they had done. Mm-hmm. So they're on international duty at the time, and Aiken and Johnson are roommates, and Johnson's saying to him he wants a move back to Celtic. He basically. You know, Celtic aren't tapping him up. That's the other way about it. He wants that move. Yeah. And at that time, if you look at his record for Scotland, Michael, he was, listen, I can't stand what he did. It was a moment that shook the football club. If you ever list, you know, 10 moments that shook Celtic football club, that's one of them. It was yeah. huge at the yeah. time. Um, and he was a brilliant player. He was a better player when he when he came back to Scotland than he was when he left. Yeah. And um, to have him paraded in the, in the, in the kit, in the centenary kit, it's desecrating the jersey. It's desecrating the memory of the great man that he was meant to be signing for. And he's letting down Roy Aiken as well. I mean, I, I had a great discussion with Peter Grant about this. And Granty, you can just imagine him. I mean, if you think you're a Celtic fan, then you look at Grant, you know. And he yep. was talking about the cup final. Scottish Cup final, 1989. I always go back to the, was it the game before it? We, we had a, a run of games where we go Easter Road's we win one nothing. Joe Miller scores. We then go to Love Street, one nothing. Joe Miller scores, and then the cup final. Same thing happens. But Love Street, I always remember as a funny story. Walking down to go to that game, um, with another guy for Salt Coast called Ryan Jackson. Actually, him and his dad went through me and my brother, and we're walking down to go to the game. And Celtic had released um, the yellow and green kind of Space Invaders style away strip, right? which at the time was a bit wacky and all that. It's turned into a retro classic now. Mm. And there was a guy walking in front of us with number nine Johnston on the back of his jersey. And this is before names were on the back of football jerseys, Celtic jerseys anyway. Yeah. And he's walking along. And I, and I noticed it. I was like, oh, Johnston's signing for Celtic, you know, and we're at Love Street. And and by the way, if you're at the game, tell me if this is a Mandela moment, because I, I remember in my mind Celtic fans singing, more, more, super, more. This is a week before the Scot, or two weeks before the Scottish Cup final against Rangers, who are going for the treble, and he's up in the stand. Mm-hmm. He's up in the stand with shades on, and bro, some sun up summer's day, shades on, sitting next to David Proven. Bizarre. It was a bizarre day, but even more bizarre than that was uh, on the way to the game. Granty tells us, and a few people have spoken about this. Mo Johnston travelled with the Celtic team, Michael. He travelled with the Celtic team to the Scottish Cup final in 1989. And what's worse than that, Peter Grant is determined that Johnston knew what he was about to do. Because there was a... Something was getting... Somebody got past something to sign. And he signed it. Mo Johnston, Rangers FC. Right? And they're going, wait a minute, is he winding somebody up here? And that's how he signed it. And obviously we know what then happened. But after that, I says to Grant, you know, this is a guy that, you know, you he was a teammate of yours. You had gone on European trips, potentially shared a room with him, blah, blah, blah. Been in the trenches, had successes. What does it do? He says, I never spoke to him. I couldn't bring myself to speak to him again, Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, because of what he did. 
And you yep. know, Peter Grant is. If there's an ultimate Celtic fan that's worn the jersey, he's up there with Tommy Burns and the rest of them. You know, no, and, and and he said that years and years later. I think again, I'd need to check the timeline. I think he's Grant is back with Celtic during the Tony Mobley era. I think, but off the top of my head, I can't remember that team going to America. But anyway, they're in the States for some reason, and it's that era. It's years later. They're in the States, and Johnston gets in touch with Grant through the club uh, to say, "Why don't we uh, meet up? Why don't we meet up for a um, a coffee while you're over here, right?" And Grant, he was like, wait a minute, I've never spoken to this guy since 1989, you know, maybe after the Scottish Cup final. So he decides, I'll do it. So they, Johnston tells him, we'll meet here, etc. And Grant, he's like, how's this going to go? How's this conversation going to go, you know? And apparently, Johnston turns up with his two boys and they were both wearing Celtic strips, Michael. These <laughs> two kids are... You know, and I'm like, I still don't understand that moment in Celtic. I don't understand why he could do it. No. People in the comments will be saying money. No, there's certain things even money doesn't no. make you do. No, it, it, it couldn't make you do that. I'm just surprised they never offered to meet him at two in the morning behind a, a you know, a <laughs> industrial estate. You know, know. that's that, there's, there's plenty of wood, but. No, it's a shameful acts in life, and that's I, I would have it in the right up there towards the top of the things that you you would say. How could you? And why did you? And don't darken my door ever again. Uh, but uh, yeah, terrible, terrible. I think we've apologies. I was chucked out my own broadcast, Michael. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. Sorry, I was wondering where you went. There was two of you there for a moment. I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna get you worried and think that you're gonna have to end the stream uh, in my absence. Actually, I, got, I just got chalked out there. I thought, oh no, don't do this to me. So very quickly, I dived back in. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just check my settings. As I say, live telly. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Audio. Yes, I'm on the right microphone. Sorry about that, ladies and gents. Um, maybe it's because somebody thought I'm pulling the plug on this. These guys are talking about Mo Johnson. I've had enough of that. Zap. We're off. Right, let's move on for Mojo then. Oh, please. <laughs> let's do it. Um, it's a pile of mine, Stevie Mullen. He always goes back to that moment and says, you know what, that that was something that really hit us hard, took us a long time to get over. Then we then we appoint the wrong manager, we spend the wrong money on the wrong players. And it gets us into that point where uh, we're in deep trouble. We're in deep financial trouble. We've got a stadium to renovate because of the Taylor Report. We can't do it. Um, and there's a fan movement. And the reason I went, you know, I opened up talking about community and the fanzine movement is the fan movements that then happened, um, they were burgeoning movements that the, the communication started in the fanzines. So you had things like Once a Tim, uh, Matt McGlone's uh, fanzine, Not the View, and a group was formed called Save Ourselves initially, which was Jim Orr, who incidentally is on Next, actually, on the weekend with Des McLean. Um, and a group of guys, Willie Wilson being another one, they're, they're both done interviews about this. It's an interesting time for me, uh, Michael, thinking back to all this, because it was about fans coming together. That group fell by the wayside eventually, and um, Celts for Change came along with Matt uh, and Brendan Sweeney and, and various others. And th they were a street movement. It was a community-based movement. Everybody wanted the best for Celtic. But even back then, Michael, uh, the, the, there were polarised views on who was in the right and who was in the wrong. There were people saying, oh, you know, 
the, the board are doing a, a fine job, uh, and this is the reasons why it's not working. It's nothing to do with the board. And Jim's spoken about it. There was people who were opposing the views of these these fan groups, but it's no surprise, is it? No. But you're always kind of going to get that, and I think I think a lot of Celtic fans probably through the 60s, 70s, when you, you, you know, you're passing it from generation to generation, there's a kind of, it can't be that bad, they're, they're always, we'll always get there and we've been probably spoiled with success in the, those areas as as well, where sometimes there's a lot of folk that don't maybe want to rock the boat and it's just as simple as that. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they treat it as just a game, they treat it as just the, the, the team on the pitch and that's the be all and the end all. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would always want to question the board, but I would always try and prioritise the team first and foremost. And and I've seen what happens. It probably comes through the uh, through the times of seeing what success doesn't look like and growing up in places like Ayrshire when it's rammed down your throat. Um, you know, you really, you know, they're dark days. And, and trust me, it will be dark days, very dark days for those on the other side that are experiencing it on the other foot just now. And, I think there's a there's a difference between maybe sometimes questioning the board and the board becoming your priority. The board still have a job to do, in my view, right? But they need to be held to account. And I think the way that we run our business these days and how we run it back then, very, very different. But people did waking up, as you say. We've, we've grown up there as kids, maybe learning more about what's going on in the boardroom. Um, uh, than, uh, and and now, it's, now, now you've got, Everybody tuned into the fact it's it's all over the place. How much money that is involved in the game these days as well. Um, there's there's a considerable investment that comes. The amount of money that Celtic even won the other night from uh, just winning that one match in the Champions League. It was, uh, you know, th- th- these are game changing amounts of, of cash that can uh, maybe go and sign these players, Mayovsky or whoever from Aberdeen. But back then it was it really was the basket tin, and that was something there that um, was. Uh, I suppose a learning curve for people that they probably take into nowadays, and we're not going to be bitten twice. Uh, there's probably that um, fear that something, uh, if we don't hold the board to account, we're, we could go back down a similar route to what we had before. But uh, it looks looks to me that Paul John's actually jumped off, guys. So I'm back here myself. Uh, I might as well take the opportunity then rather than uh, cut off. But um, one of the reasons anybody that did happen to tune in the first time I was on the, the programme and with it being a charity weekend, um, some people might know me as Taggy Boy. Uh, I um, I am a Celtic FC Foundation Supporters Committee uh, member. Uh, I'm the event lead for a major event we've got coming up and a lot of people I know have already bought their tickets for it. But I'll give it a plug just now till Paul John gets himself hopefully back in here. Um, so we're having a supporters committee dinner, all in aid of the Celtic FC Foundation, and uh, that's on Saturday the twenty third of March. Uh, we're having it at the Crown Plaza this year again, where it's been for the last couple of years. So I recently had uh, joined the the foundation supporters committee uh, as a result of uh, previous work I've done with the the Celtic FC Foundation. I've been to places such as. As Zambia, uh, I did that for my 40th birthday a few years back and thanks to everybody that's continued to support the Celtic FC Foundation and myself included with that type of work. So 
uh, lots and lots of things uh, going on. Um, anybody that's that's attending games, you'll probably chuck money into bucket collections and so on. But equally, um, there's a, a lot of the, the the money that comes in. We we spoke recently about uh, how it does help to benefit uh, every aspect of the the community out there, not just the Celtic uh, supporting community. As the work that the Celtic FC Foundation do is it's it's quite it's quite jaw dropping. It's it's eye opening for uh, a number of uh, projects they're involved with. Uh, the Paradise Pit Stop, uh, that's a warm meal that's provided four four days a week. Uh, there's there's op- opportunities to go and get involved. Uh, anybody, it's it's absolutely anonymous. You can turn up to Celtic Park and in these really tough times. Uh, there's a, a warm meal there for people. Uh, two hours uh, of uh, four days a week. Uh, so that's a Monday, a Wednesday, a Thursday and Friday. Uh, so check out the Celtic website and uh, also Celtic FC Foundation uh, links that are there. But I am delighted that Paul John has joined us back. <laughs> but uh, it, it, that's, that's twice now you've went away. Don't, Michael, don't, I'm not doing it again. And some, some little bits about the Celtic FC Foundation. I don't know if you, you caught any of it, uh, but uh, thanks for joining us back. Wow. What's just happened there is everything just went off, the whole shebang. And I thought to myself, when I come back, Michael, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm off-ski. The, the, the fact that you didn't chuck it, the fact you didn't chuck it there and you kept it going, hats off to you, by the way. Thank you so much, Michael. And apologies um, to everybody that I was thrown out again we're not going to mention them again. We're, we're definitely not. Let's pull it right back up to date. And quite rightly, you were you were promoting everything that the, the great work that you do. Um, some of the the stuff that the foundation does um, is astonishing. And you guys with your, your charity endeavours and, and raising awareness and funds, and obviously doing it on a live setting as well. One of the, one of the greatest things for me though, Michael, was uh, the fact that you you were able to use the, the glory in the dream song in your promo, your wee advert, um, because the wakes, of course, are going to be playing at your gig. That's it. No, and very grateful for the opportunity to use that. It's uh, it really did help us get things off with a bang. Uh, we um, are delighted to have uh, Paul Sheridan and and and, and the weeks along uh, for the event on the twenty third of March. Um, we've got a lot of things planned for that particular evening, but you know the likes of that that song about the the foundation of the the, the club where we come from. Uh, our our strapline is uh, our foundation. The Celtic way, uh, so that is uh, going to be the theme. Um, going back to towards our roots, it's, to me, it's really important. And again, I suppose as a Celtic da, uh, it's it's important that uh, my kids get to to see it. And, and I'm sure there's there's others that absolutely, are, you know, we've, it's important to pass on where we come from as a a club, where we were formed, what we're all about, what what should still be absolute mainstream. As being a Celtic fan to me, it's not just about turning up and oh, it's the Champions League. We'll go tonight uh, because it's a big game, or or we'll not go because it's not as big a Champions League game as we thought we would get. Go back to the actual roots, what, where we come from, um, why we were formed, and we'll probably help to tell the story at that event. You know, it's a dinner. Uh, we'll 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 be going back to the fact of how Celtic were formed with over a meal, um, and um, we'll we'll. Uh, We'll really be able to to start something there with hopefully some new people coming along to the event uh, this year as well. Uh, over the last couple of years, it's been a right success. Uh, I joined the, the committee earlier in the uh, towards the end of the summer. 
to to help promote, and we've been able to already see that there's some some new people joining that haven't been to the, the dinner yet. And uh, I hope that continues because we've still got some tickets available. Uh, they are available on um, links that you'll find on the Celtic FC Foundation um, uh, website, uh, and and also uh, on my own Twitter. Uh, I, I think I have it pinned, or, or my own X. I can still can't say that. Um, you'll find links to be able to get tickets but um, no, really 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 important for us and it's although we're asking people to spend money, I think the, the bit that is important to remember is that money's not going to us, it's not going to sell tickets, it's not going to a transfer kit it's not going to heat driveways or anything like that, this is absolutely going to help people in the community that need it the most and the work that is done is I've seen it abroad, I've seen it in, in Zambia first hand what happens over there but I've also seen what's going on locally here in Scotland and in and around Glasgow and around uh, UK and Ireland my goodness if, if people can get behind it it's it's what a charity weekend is all about but you know I, 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 I'm very very keen uh, to, to, to promote that and always happy to I, I'll be jumping on the Leith CSC uh, supporters bus with the kids later on we'll go to the match but uh Hey guys, uh, big shout out to them because they were the first ones to put their hands up and say we'll sponsor a couple of tables. So sponsorship right. opportunities are there, and that to me is these are guys you go to the football with every week. They're there every week, and God bless everyone. Oh, what a way to end! And by the way, the work you're doing is phenomenal, Michael. The fact that you didn't just throw in the towel and pull the plug yourself there is phenomenal, and I thank you for that. You've kept the ball rolling. Thank Good. you so much. Uh, next up is Jim Moore and Des McLean. So uh, go to where you watch Axon, be that on the socials or on the YouTube channel, and we will be, look at this. The, the good thing is you get loads of sympathy for people. Um, PG is having a mirror. You're right, Brian, an absolute mirror. But thankfully, Michael kept the thing going. Uh, thank you very, very much, um, every single one of you. And we will keep this going. It's uh, Jim Moore, Bend It Like Bertie. Um, along with Des McLean, funny man Des, he's, he's a great guy as well. Uh, Michael, enjoy the game today. Let's go and get the result that we want. Um, enjoy it with your family. Enjoy it with the community that we've been talking about. And if there's anything else we can do to promote your, your big night next year, just give us a shout, pal. And the leprechaun flag, keep an eye out for it. It's a wee reminder to buy tickets for that event. Good man. 100%, 100%. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. And we'll be back on YouTube in just a few minutes with Jim Moore and Des McLean. Network.